0: Welcome to a new episode of Becoming a Post-Growth Planner Obstacles and Challenges to Changing Roles and Practices. My name is Christian Lamka. I'm Assistant Professor for Sustainable Transformation and Regional Planning at the University of Groningen. And today, for like in the 20th episode of this podcast, I'm welcoming Thomas Hartmann from TU Dortmund University.
1: Hello, yeah indeed, my name is Thomas Hartmann, I'm Professor for Land Policy and Land Management at TU Dortmund University in Germany. I'm researching questions of land policy, property rights and property law uh, now since more than 15 years working, especially on issues of flood risk management and climate adaptation on the one hand and uh, land policy issues
0: such as housing and densification on the other hand. What I find particularly great that while you are joining us that we are moving towards traditional core domains of spatial planning also within the formalized systems of spatial planning that we have in most European and many more countries on this planet. To get a bit more to the broader start, how would you summarize for our listeners the role of spatial planning in developing land?
1: Well, fairly simple. simple, I would say planners develop land. Uh, It's it's embedded in your question already. Um, If if you look at planning laws all around the globe, the notion is that the development, spatial development entails growth and building. Um, So yeah, planners develop land and what is meant by developing is mainly economic growth. Uh, it's the um, change from uh, agricultural or natural land into built up uh, land for all kinds of uh, purposes. Formally speaking, you can also say well, planners are just part of the executive branch of the state, not the legislative branch. So just executors. So um, whatever goes wrong, planners could withdraw to the position and blame the politicians. They're just executing the job
0: this growth that then embedded in land related planning instruments or in political targets
1: both I tend to answer quickly
0: um let me let
1: me start with the with planning laws and in particular um instruments of spatial planning or more specific on, on land policy most instruments that are available and instruments are um, uh, pu- uh, public interventions that uh, aim to change the behavior of the of certain actors, mostly the landowners. They are mostly um, uh, designed for urban growth or mostly built on the idea that land rent increases and that there is a profit to be generated and there are some instruments available that are not that much growth oriented but the majority of instruments and planning laws is very much growth oriented whether that accounts also for the political agenda is a bit more tricky to answer in a general notion probably but there is more nuance to it. So there are phases where we have been talking about shrinking cities a while ago um, or about being uh, thrifty with land to reduce land consumption. But overall, the notion is uh, is growth indeed.
0: Yeah, but even with shrinking cities, there is two parts of the problem is a lack of growth or the problem is maybe a lack of uh, another idea, or another vision, how to develop, how to change uh, spaces, or another idea of what development actually is. I think we first talked about post-growth, post-growth planning quite some years back already. What made you interested in post-growth issues or in such questions from your research perspective?
1: I would say there are two two issues uh, that, that are relevant here. So one of the issues is that. um, it's it's more academic interest uh, where we observe in land policy two competing um, policy objectives. Uh, One is on the housing crisis it's sometimes uh, faced. So the need for more housing. And the other is the objective to reduce land consumption. These objectives obviously clash. Mm -hmm. Um, The planners seem to think that densification is the holy grail that solves this conundrum. And I, I I leave it to the geospatial analysis an analysis whether the amount of, of housing that you can create really solves it. But you seem you, you hear that I'm, I'm a bit doubting. The second issue is that um, since since I started spatial planning, uh, I became aware of uh, flood risk management and its need for land climate adaptation. And there is a lot of talk about climate adaptation and mitigation measures nature-based solutions is the big term well what we often forget is that most of these measures require more land and this land is not necessarily a growth-oriented land perspective so these two issues drive me to drive my interest in Post-growth planning, you know, regarded more as a phenomenon to to look at and to understand in which context the different um, political notions and instruments are placed.
0: Yeah, in an earlier article, uh, you talked about criteria for land management with Theo Spitt on democratic legitimacy, effectiveness, efficiency, fairness. So quite fundamental if you think about a shift away from growth towards post-growth. I can imagine there are many conflicts but where do you also see new possibilities emerging?
1: Well, these four criteria we used to compare the Dutch and the German planning system. And we used effectiveness, efficiency, legitimacy and justice because they stress the political uh, notion of these land policies or the instruments uh, behind them. Um and we often tend to forget it. We we treat planning instruments as as administrative or bureaucratic or often technical issues, but these are uh, political issues. And these criteria help to understand the different uh, political notions behind it. And I regard um, all these four criteria not as um, as simple uh, uh, the, the more the better. So, but it depends pretty much on the planning goal. For example, if efficiency. I talk about alloc- uh, allocative efficiency. Oftentimes, the more efficient the land use, the, the better. Yes, but sometimes planners decide against it. Think of Central Park, New York, which is not a built-up area, but it would be a fantastic place to build. Right. Um, so it's it's not. That we can take each of the criteria to increase legitimacy, to increase effectiveness or efficiency. But we need to look at, at the different meanings of these, of these concepts to better understand the political notions embedded in
0: planning. You mentioned densification earlier as the holy grail, and you're also working on densification in a current project. But is densification in one way or the other a way towards maybe a post-growth future? Or is it something that uh, remains deeply embedded in a growth idea that then crashes with practical options to really merge together with climate adaptation um, and other directions that are politically also set?
1: The, the big advantage of being, being an academic is that you don't have a normative position to that, but you can look at it, it very analytical as a spatial phenomenon. Um, I think, um, with densification and also the whole housing crisis, what planners tend to tend to forget is that the demand for more housing is not necessarily a not natural law. Um, and we, we, we often forget to look at where this demand comes from. Uh, and, if we if we start doing that, we look at mortgage systems. We look at uh, the different housing needs of different parts of the society. Also for densification, um, yes, I think to to a huge extent it is very growth oriented because it's driven by the demand for more more housing. But but, but I, I don't have to have a normative position. I look at it uh, f- full of full of astonishment to look at this spatial
0: phenomenon. There is a second. I- Direction that I want to touch upon—that is, the densification—and many of these inner development areas often touch more upon existing building structures than other ways of increasing uh, housing by building into natural areas, building into agricultural areas. From your land policy perspective, why do even these modest attempts to engage with built-up structures of often fail, even adding another story on a building, uh, densifying by one or two buildings. Why is this often much more difficult than building into a previously agricultural area?
1: Because the planning gain is smaller. It's it's, uh, simply a question of land economics, which is pretty much growth oriented again. that's the, the the simple answer it's not that simple obviously because in some cities like think think of Zurich in Switzerland densification is really a a business Gabriela de Bruna writes about the business of densification in that respect I think uh in order to understand densification and in order to 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 push densification we need to understand that the trick is the property property in land um I always tell my students in the last lecture when i teach them about land policy i tell them your students now you know the trick now you know the magic ingredient of planning and that is that is property i tell my students that from that moment onwards when they know how to deal with property in land there are no excuses for building ugly cities no excuses for unsustainable or unresilient cities so i think the trick truly is is address private property in land. And this is not a very popular choice because we're dealing with one of the best protected things one can own, except the right
0: to your own life. How far does it then mean that planners uh, working in practice, but also um, planners that get education at universities need more idea about what property actually is, the way how we interfere with property, and also the understanding of how economics work, how land markets work, And how actually land markets are built, shaped, transformed as well, besides the planning instruments per se?
1: I I think uh, understanding all these things, how the instruments work, how property and land economics work, this is just the basics. This is what you need to know in order to be able to act. But then, what students and planners in practice need to understand is that activating instruments and engaging with property is deeply a political question. In, In most countries, we have kind of a legislative reflex that if there is a planning problem, new planning instruments will be, will be developed, uh, planning law will be changed. Quite often, however, we have quite good planning instruments at hand, um, they're just not activated, and that's not a question of lacking instruments or insufficient instrument, but it's a question of uh, political notions. This is, by the way, way w- how I think where the four criteria of effectiveness, efficiency, legitimacy, and justice can help.
0: That's also basically how I've usually framed post-growth planning, that it's not necessarily only about inventing some new instrument, new tool, but also inventing, or even more about inventing a new mindset, a new way of seeing the world, a new way of taking a role and acting a role. And you mentioned there are some examples, maybe a bit hidden in law, that can be used, but that are rarely used so far or have been used maybe in the past. Can you name a few examples from Germany, the Netherlands, other European countries? Do you have something in mind that would really help us in a more practical perspective?
1: Well, um, it, it is far easier to name a few examples how it, how it doesn't work, but... Um, uh, but there are indeed attempts on, in some countries where the idea of post-growth um, or the idea of dealing better with scarcity of land uh, has been pushed forward. I would recommend to look at countries like uh, the, the Switzerland, which uh, is a quite progressive uh, planning law, uh, really banning any, uh, any development outside the built-up area, um, having a scheme of public value capture at hand with its flaws and its 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 backdoors I give I give that also the Czech republic uh attempting to develop a tool to reduce building on agricultural land again with its flaws here and there but there are attempts around the world even in germany um there was an attempt by the legislature to have a uh tax reform uh on introducing a land value tax uh, however, uh, in practice, it seems to fail based on political notions. Um, politicians, particularly at the municipal level, are very reluctant and very hesitant intervening in property and land in land and trying to reduce
0: the planning gain. But there are there are examples like that. We had quite some talks in previous episodes about this competition between municipalities and the problem, especially how to break out out of growth logins in that regard, would you see another more proactive or more legislative or more directive role of regional, state, national levels of planning? Or what could be a way within planning to overcome this problem of competition between small entities that all strive for similar things or that all strive for growth, probably without taking into account cumulative aspects, long-term problems that also arise from that?
1: I would be careful in fiddling around with established planning systems. Um, A good example is the German planning system, which is rather robust and it has its its advantages and you need to be careful when changing such systems. I'm also not revolutionary or activist in that regard. I think the key really is to take property in land seriously think about the interests and agency of landowners in order to better understand how to design responsive land policies at the municipal level. I think what we've learned over the past is that it's not one level alone, the regional or the national or the federal level uh, that, 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 that can then direct a, c- a certain um, political notion. I, I think we've, we have a planning system that that is Constructed in a way that it carefully balances the different issues at stake. I think that's my best answer to not answer your question.
0: No, I think uh, I'm filling with the same issues of, uh, yes, local alone is hard to achieve in the dense setting. Uh, also taking into account climate mitigation, climate adaptation and things that are certainly not local, that are not even more than regional. On the other side, there are things that can be best done at a local, sub-local level and where it even works without being directive just letting it happen and where the result is often better than a directed attempt so i'm also caught in this um, struggle as well and we are then also within the domain of spatial planning as this political activity with different values different rationalities and you have also done quite some work on that how could such an understanding framework also help think at least more openly towards post-growth, towards post-growth futures to recognize different values, rationalities within planning. So I I use
1: the term rationality with a plural. So I consider that there are different rational ways of thinking. Um, And uh, this this is also embedded in these four criteria. When you, for example, talk about concepts of justice, um, there are different concepts of justice. And all of them have their own right to existence because they are all logical and, and rational in itself. And it's, it's too easy to say that if someone doesn't follow your concept of justice, that this is uh, unjust for everybody. No, it's just unjust from your perspective. And I think this pluralist perspective to these four criteria you mentioned earlier, effectiveness, efficiency, legitimacy, and justice, helps in the first instance, to, to understand spatial situations. So you use it very cons- uh, analytical, but also you can use it very conceptual. The um, uh, theory proposes then what they call a clumsy solution, which is a solution that takes into account different ways of thinking, different interests, and tries to respond to that. And if you accept the idea of that there are plural notions, this solution can never be perfect It is always a compromise, a a, a clumsiness. So we should not also for post-growth, we should not look for the perfect planning solution. It's a muddling through, it's a clumsy solution.
0: I would add there's even another dimension that's the question, the dimension of time. As one thing is doing something today, but on the other side, especially post-growth futures look very much into also long-term future into cumulative effects of small activities that we do today. From your perspective, does spatial planning, but also more broadly, societies in general, face such hardship in recognizing these cumulative effects, uh, the effects of plans for the long term, though we are really able to calculate many of them today.
1: Well, I will, it will not surprise you that I will start answering your question by talking about property in land. Property in land and planning are a bit in a fraud relationship. I mean, if you think about the, space, the, the the time dimension of property, property is, if you own a piece of land, this is usually assigned to you for, for, forever. And if you have the development right to develop your land, usually, I'm not talking about compensation for downzoning and stuff, but what, what you have is a right that doesn't extinguish. So once a planner decides to Give the permit to build a single family house on a plot of land. This is assigned in principle, in theory, forever, with some backdoors here and there. But that's the, the general idea. If we look about the time dimension of planning, we are quite good with forecasting for the next couple of years. We have good scenarios if we talk about decades. But think about the time dimension of these property rights. We have to admit at some point, also in planning, it's it's pure guessing how the city will look like in 50, 70, 100 years, how climate will change. We just don't know. And this is a big, big tension. So we need to start to think about property and we cannot consider planning, let's say, a romantic
0: endeavor to design utopia without taking property rights into account. But on the other side, it's the often outspoken ambition to plan for the long term, to think about the city that we want in the long term future, not just the next few years. So there is an inherent conflict in these questions of on the one side, yes, we want to influence the really long run. On the other side, yeah, but realistically, what we can only do is act in the here and now. Do you see future-oriented ideas from maybe especially post-growth dimensions that could help a bit bridge this gap to, on the one side, think a bit more beyond than today, uh, knowing that the long-term future remains uncertain and remains also a lot already locked in by past property rights.
1: My role is not to despair planners of their ambitions. My role is to enable them to take property rights into account when having these ambitions there are attempts like long-term leasing uh, long-term leaseholds there are discussions on indeed compensation for down zoning one of the example where it really went wrong is for example belgium which is very interesting to look at they have <laughs> assigned vast amounts of land in the 70s for build-up areas uh, resulting in huge urban sprawl i i think what these what, what, what such example tell tell us is um, how to deal or how to not deal with property in land. What happens if you don't take the uh, longitudinal perspective of property rights into account? So I I th- this is what I mentioned earlier. Once you know the trick of planning and that it has deep links with property in land, once you know that trick, you have no excuses T- to realize the post growth. City, but we need to be aware of these property rights. And I know that sometimes planners don't find that a very sexy topic to to look at.
0: One is the topic, but also many planners don't feel it too sexy to think about formal instruments, uh, the tools, legal instruments that have often been there for decades. Do you have a piece of advice or some hope for planners that yes, these tools that are actually core of planning are still relevant, remain relevant, and there is a different way to use that?
1: Look. At property rights and instruments of planning with your ambition in mind. And try also to understand, I'm um, being now normative, from a post-growth planners' perspective, try to understand the evil side. Try to understand how greedy developers, uh, selfish property owners, how they think and why they do what they do. Once you do that, and only after you do, after you really embrace that, you can deal with it. Oftentimes, what we see is that planners too often have this ambition, and they talk about this evil side, the land economics and the greediness of the developers and and the selfish property owners, without trying to understand them. And once you understand that these. Um, uh, the the other side, so to speak, is not evil or irrational. It's rather logical and it follows a very clear rationality. Once you start understanding that, you can intervene in that. And this is the best motivation to look at the dusty material of property law and planning law and instruments. And all of a sudden, it it becomes a tool
0: in your hand that can help you to push post-growth, the post-growth city. Do you have good ideas in mind how to achieve this, how to increase learning in that direction, how to gain these insights as pure communication uh, is not necessarily successful? So there must be more getting to the real understanding of how how it functions.
1: This is also something I tell my students. I have a -a once-in-a-lifetime chance to teach my students land policy. The best I can do is to make them enthusiasts for the topic. I just don't know how planning law looks when they are really into business, into positions in 20 years. When I studied, we were talking about shrinking cities. There was no talk about the housing crisis. And and so the the, the best I can do, uh, and I think I have the right and the duty to do that, is make students enthusiasts for uh, really turning into property in land and property law and planning law and try to understand how this really can be developed as a tool to achieve the ambitions instead of um, blaming property as the evil
0: part. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I must also say that I see post-growth planning in a similar way as something unfinished, something that needs to be taken up and not as one of these New planning ideas that now just awaits implementation and then let's say we are done, box ticked. Something different uh, that goes broader than that. So before we finish this episode of the podcast, I would like to get your idea on that and you to finish the sentence, post-growth planning is? A question of land policy. Thank you. Let's take this question with us end of this 20th episode of this podcast. Many thanks to Thomas Hartmann of TU Dortmund University that you've taken the time this morning for us. Thank you. Thank you.